Welcome everyone to the Feeling Lighter podcast by We Shape, where we shed old beliefs that no longer serve us one episode at a time. Uh, the bottom line, how you feel about yourself changes everything in yes. your life. It certainly does, huh? Absolutely. How are you, Lisa? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready for this one. This yeah. is a return guest. Uh, uh, I was connecting with Nina, our podcast coordinator, and I was like, Please get Nicole Cruz if you can. <laughs> She's incredible. Um, today's episode is about reparenting yourself and your children's relationship with food. Mm-hmm. When we had Nicole on previously, we talked a lot about parenting, and we will today. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want people who are listening to this to say, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have young children. Because oftentimes when we're talking about parenting, it's actually an opportunity to reparent ourselves. Absolutely. So yeah. if you're hearing about parenting techniques or ideas or concepts, think about how you were parented yeah. and and how we could use these things not only to help our children, but for those of us who are not in that stage or in that season, we can actually reparent these parts of ourselves. So this gets, Definitely. I love the topic of um, parenting and child development. I mean, honest, that was actually my background. That's right, what I went yeah. to school for because it's a root thing. I always it like is. to go to the root things, right? Like, so um, this is a really good opportunity, like I said, even if you don't have children, to tap into those parts of how you were parented around food. This is where most of this stuff comes from. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to read uh, Nicole's bio and then we'll welcome her uh, and get started because we have a lot of questions today. Okay. Several. <laughs> Nicole Cruz is a registered dietitian and parent nutrition coach who believes that the foundation to quote unquote healthy eating is having a healthy relationship with food. She works with teens and adults to heal their own relationship with food. And in her program, Nourish Together, Nicole supports parents through a diet free lens to raise balanced and empowered eaters who can eat a variety of food, attuned to their body cues, and self-regulate with all foods. Mm. Doesn't that sound like the dream? It is the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Nicole. We're happy to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. Where do we Where do we want to start today, Lisa? Listen, I thank you for being here, Nicole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have been on an intuitive eating journey for maybe four years now, and it's still challenging, right? There's still things that come up. Um, But I have really, really, really struggled with how to transition my children. Um, Quick backstory: I started out raising them. They're 12, 10, and 8 now. But I started out raising them very much in diet culture. I was immersed in it. I was a fitness instructor. I was, you know, only low-calorie foods in my house, in my pantry. And my oldest child, who's 12 now, when she was 6 or 7, she was stealing snacks from other kids' book bags. And she was sneaking food in the house at home. And I did not even have the language to deal with that. Um, And so these last few years, I've been trying to figure out how to incorporate them into this intuitive eating lifestyle. But it is really hard to let go of that control. And so, I mean, I want all the tips and all the information and like really just where to start with children, because I think that's that's so key to know like even how to talk to them about it so that it doesn't become this like stigmatizing thing around around food because I definitely I started out the wrong way for sure so I mean, it makes me think about this idea that uh first of all first of all our culture gives us this permission that you're the parent and you're in control right so I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater there because in some ways we have to be in control for of sure. some things for their own safety mm-hmm. so it's like it's all about that line 
right? And I hope that that's what, I think that's what you're saying too, is like, we, we're the parents, so right. we have to take some responsibility. We can't just throw our arms up with everything that, that might not, that might actually do damage too. So defining the line and like maybe just starting with sharing with us, what lens do you look through when you're looking through this as the parent? And, mm -hmm. and where do you insert control? Where do you not insert control? Like it, it's, it's a tricky line. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that's one thing that I really work with parents on, you know, that I work with closely is still being parents. Right. <laughs> like it's absolutely still okay to be parents. And even around food, you don't have to allow your house to be a complete free for all where oh. then you're dealing with, you know, snacks left and right. You're cooking meals. No one's hungry for them. No one cares. They get up from the table and just make whatever they want separately. Like, it, it doesn't have to be that way, right? It also doesn't have to be that you have to purchase umpteen containers of whatever they want each week and just go through all of those and the minute they want them again, you go back to the store. Like there's so many layers to it that as parents, we have the wherewithal to think through some of the logistics around mm -hmm. meal and snack timing, preparing them to be ready for a meal, thinking about budgeting, thinking mm -hmm. about chaos in the home with food, you know, having other activities and not just having food be there all the time. It's okay to have breaks from food because now we're going to focus on homework. Now we're going to go outside and play. Now we're going to do, you know, whatever the thing is. And so it's absolutely still okay to be parents. We just want to be thoughtful about where that comes from. Okay. And I think what happens so much in our culture is because we look through this diet culture lens around healthy versus unhealthy and the way that we feed our kids, like, you know, it like determines the rest of their lives, right? right? We have so much pressure on us to feed them right from the second they're born mm -hmm. with breastfeeding versus bottle feeding. And then when they move into solids and, oh gosh, you know, heaven forbid you give them... A, a sprinkle of sugar or, you know, don't feed, don't make right. your own baby food or like whatever the things are. There's just so much pressure that also tells you if you're being a good parent or not. Mm. And if we were able to take away all of that from the culture itself, I think we would have a lot easier job of just being parents with food, just the way we can parent with so many other things. Mm. But because there's this external extra layer around it, uh, it makes it confusing for parents to know, like, where is my role? Where do I hold that boundary? And so often we hold boundaries that are really out of out of fear, out of trying to control our child's body size, out of worrying that they're going to be addicted to, to sweets, that they're never going to eat a, a vegetable in their lives. And so we get really anxious. And then we're parenting from this place that is actually doing more harm than good. I think the fear thing is really important to kind of highlight because if I think back to when I was being more controlling with what they ate, I think it was out of fear and it was probably the fear of judgment, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe maybe the fear of, of their health and concerns about that. But you mentioned something about like they're going to be addicted to things. Can you talk about this idea of like addiction, food addiction and then sugar addiction in kids? Like is that a thing that we should be worried about as we're parenting and feeding them or no? <laughs> well, personally, I don't think so. Uh, there's a lot of mixed ideas out there around, you know, sugar addiction. And one thing I will say is that I, I understand that the feeling is real mm -hmm. to feel addicted to some sort of food or some substance in that way, food related, right? So a lot of people say, I feel addicted to sugar. And I completely understand that. 
It's just that in my practice, working with teens, adults, and now with parents around their kids, that I've seen, and the research also supports, when we look at the research around uh, giving more permission, healing the relationship with food, giving more permission to food, that even people that felt like they were addicted actually come to feel like, oh, I can actually stop now Mm. when we remove the deprivation from it. And sometimes we have to go through that cycle of really allowing more and we we feel it still for a period of time, but then it tends to to ease off and it feels more in balance. And so I see that too with the parents that I work with and their kids. And I had one parent tell me, you know, she as she was leaving our, our program Nourish Together and she said, I swore, I just kept thinking, I'm going to be the one whose kid can't self-regulate. I knew it. The whole time I was just telling myself, that's going to be it. And she's like, I couldn't believe when I saw my child start to relax around food, leave the cookie, leave just the chip snack, like all of the things that she thought she would never stop eating and just seemed so obsessive and compulsive around. She's like, I couldn't believe it. So... I just know how this work goes when we really, when parents really lean into it, when individuals really lean into it and allow themselves to go through the process. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to take away anyone else's experience, but my experience in working with clients has been that it's usually caused from a sense of deprivation, scarcity that drives that feeling of addiction. And I can speak for myself. I felt that way too, mm-hmm. you know, in my teen and early adult years that I was addicted to sugar. I, I, full on believed that until I worked through healing my own relationship with food. Yeah, so I'm gonna just throw some examples out at you if that works. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I um, have a belief that probably comes from fear. Um, I, I have been doing more intuitive eating with my children, uh, less regulating, kind of more just like, you know, what do you think, how do you feel? Um, and my younger daughter has re- has really kind of flown into that. I can I can see her. Um, she does have a pretty significant lactose intolerance and she gets a lot of like physical symptoms from that and she does want the dairy and I'm like ooh so the conversations I'm having now which maybe if you think this isn't the right language I'd love other tools is I want you to stop and think about like maybe a little bit will be okay but last time you had a lot this is what happened and like let's just stop for a minute and think about that Um, and but I feel like that journey is going pretty well my older daughter um, has some neurodivergence that really serve her a lot in her life. She has a beautiful mind. Um, there are also challenges that come with that. She's extremely dopamine seeking. And she will get the dopamine wherever it comes. And food is often a way for her to get that dopamine. And it's hard also for me, and I and this, is, this is the, here's I'm coning in on the question here, I'm gonna get there. <laughs> There are certain things like, for instance, red dye, for instance, where I actually see significant changes that happen when she makes choices around that. And there's a part of me that just wants to surrender and say, whatever, like, listen, I guess your body will tell you if that's not okay. But then as the parent, I feel like I have to pay the price of those decisions. Like I have extreme meltdowns, lots of anger. Like I see this um, emotional repercussion that comes from this physical thing that's happening in her body and I I get stuck there about what to do around that because I know if I tell her not to have the red dye it actually makes it like she wants it more but then when I give complete freedom around it she always goes for it and then our family is like dealing with tons like I literally see her pupils dilate when she has it like she has like she we always say oh no she had red dye today because it's like everything changes and maybe I'm wrong like maybe I'm just looking for that and then like man I don't know for sure. So 
let's look at both of those, which I think are very similar. But with the lactose example, right? Actually, they're very similar. That we want to look at how can we best support them without being overly controlling and without creating a bigger issue. So same with the lactose, right? If your child really likes those foods, maybe she's willing to deal with those consequences sometimes. And could that be her choice instead of us feeling like we have to prevent that? These are just not okay. Or is this her thing to work through and Mm. figure out on her own, which I think is something that we need to give our children the space to do, which is so hard, hard. right? But (laughs) we need to let them, we need to let them sometimes eat more than feels good. And yes, they get a bit of a tummy ache. Like sometimes that happens. That just happened to one of my kids after Halloween. And he had a tummy ache. The other two didn't at all. They were very moderate. And he just sat there and ate and ate and ate. And he kind of laughed. He said, I think I ate too much. My stomach really hurts. And I was like, totally. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it'll pass soon. It's okay. Like, yeah, that's a learning experience for you. So maybe she needs to learn. With that said, can we look for, are there lactose-free products that she could have? Mm-hmm. Are there alternatives, you know, that are dairy-free that she would really enjoy that we could bring in? Could she take some lactose pills? Could we try, or the lactase pills to help with lactose? Could we try those and see if they help? Like, are there things that we could do mm. that could still support her to really enjoy those foods? Because yeah. maybe she does. Yeah. Right? So same with the red dye piece we're looking at are there foods that maybe she really likes that we could bring in and see, could these be alternatives? Could we just not keep very many in the house, but buy these alternatives for her, not make a big deal when she's out and let her have the other ones? The part here too is looking at if they, like you said with the lactose, if they recognize it, we can have a conversation about it too. You know, if they are noticing, yeah, that doesn't feel very good to me. Okay, how do you want to navigate this? But if they're like, no, I just want more, that's where I get to what is the potential consequence or damage if we try to pull back more and more Mm -hmm. and is that worth it then? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're consistently trying to weigh out is to go, okay, so if I say absolutely none of this, none of this, is she going to be sneaking it, hiding it? And then what's the shame and guilt for that on top of her getting it anyways and all of the things, right? Versus how do I just create that supportive environment where I don't have it around too much, but maybe she does still get exposure some places and those are the moments we just have to lean into and know that they're going to happen and she's figuring it out and we're trying to work with her on it. And it's, and that's what it is. It's complicated too, because like my daughter who's lactose intolerant, she gets an immediate stomach ache Mm. and has digestive problems. So she has that cause and effect. My older daughter has no connection (laughs) with, there's no reflection or awareness of like you ate that and now you've been having a like a violent meltdown for two hours. Like there's just no connection there. And so I think that's what's also difficult. And this is where I find it so fascinating with the work that you do and the fact that you are a registered dietitian and that, you know, like how do we acknowledge that sometimes certain nutrients or ingredients impact our body or our maybe our emotional reaction? Like how do we play nicely with food freedom and um, the science behind nutrition? Yeah, and I think that's what it is, right? It's it's always looking at both sides of it. Even, you know, if somebody really enjoys dairy but knows that it makes them upset, they might decide sometimes, you know what? 
maybe that ice cream looks so good and I want to have some and it might bother my stomach a little bit. But that's not the end of the world versus like the diet culture idea of like anything that you do and you put in your body that doesn't feel good, like you're a horrible person for it, you're unhealthy now, you're right? It's just like, yeah, that's just a consequence Mm -hmm. that happened, like a very neutral, non-judgmental consequence. It's just what it is. And so how can we start? I think that's our job as parents first is to take all this extra energy away Mm -hmm. and just be able to look at it objectively. Like, yes, when my daughter has red dye, I notice this behavior. So how do we want to navigate that without all of this extra energy that comes in around it? Yeah. Right. And so that's a lot of what it is, I think, is is the the fear. Again, going back to the fear and needing to control it so mm-hmm. deeply versus giving space to work through it. Yeah. We'll be back in just a moment. As a reminder, the Feeling Lighter podcast is a part of WeShape, a fitness app that is taking a very different approach. And I wanted to let everyone know about our upcoming Best Moves for You masterclass that WeShape is hosting that you can sign up for free. Take a look at weshape.com forward slash class or click the link in the show notes. And now back to the Feeling Lighter podcast. Right. It's also for me, though. My I have an eight-year-old son, and he goes to town on the snacks. And I buy, you know, I keep a very well-stocked pantry of all types of snacks because I want them to have food freedom and the, you know, the independence to choose what they want. Um, but he gets these stomach aches and... That's fine, right? A learning experience. But then he comes and wakes me up in the middle of the night. (laughs) And I am not thinking clearly at that moment to be this very, you know, (laughs) gentle parent. (laughs) And like, okay, think about what you ate. I'm like upset. And I'm just being honest. Like I'm stressed out. Now my sleep's ruined. Now the next day is going to be really hard for me. And I mean, I know I'm a parent, so we figure it out. But that is really hard on me. And so I get what you're saying, Katie. Like when you're dealing with these behaviors and reactions from your kids choices it falls on you like you're the one picking up the pieces and trying to like comfort them and help them and we signed up for motherhood but we didn't know (laughs) we didn't know this part like well I think it's hard like I always joke um with Tyler around like oh I wish we could just start our parenting journey now (laughs) start over (laughs) because like I have so much different perspective and there would be no energy around food it just wouldn't be right but because I've spent 10 well eight years of the oldest one's life around having energy around food, I'm like, how do I now not have energy around food? It's like, how do we make these transitions? And it it is hard because developmentally speaking, and maybe we should go into to this part too, where it's yeah. like, um, there are certain things that are more palatable. There are, I mean, food companies know this, right? This mm-hmm. is like, they're not going to like make money if something tastes like crap. So it's like, how do we know that like children don't have full brain development to like think about long-term decisions and act. it's like it's so complicated I think when you're talking about children because it there is an intersect between there's an intersection between you know they don't like your son like yeah. how, he, it's not like the sixth time he was like oh I got a stomach ache I don't want to wake up in the night he's like I'll just keep doing keep that doing it and so, I mean, I guess we do that as adults. We too, do. Though. And that, oh. yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. I was, okay. I was waiting okay. on her to probably <laughs> chastise us <Okay>. for that. <laughs> no, 
I think it's all this. I mean, it's all related, though, going back to that point, right? This is how we get to be the supportive role in the feeding relationship. So if that's a regular pattern, we always want to go upstream and see if there's something that we can do to prevent, to better support, to make that not happen without being, again, overly controlling or stepping in. And so let's say that he's always doing that. Well, one is... Let's look at when snack time is. Are you giving a free-for-all all evening? And is that actually not what he needs? Or do you know what I'm saying? Like, we yeah. could also decide, okay, we need to, and what I actually recommend and recommend to my clients and what I notice in my own my own life is the more proactive we are as parents with providing that structure, okay. our lives are so much easier. So if you're like, okay, this is what's happening. You, I don't know when, you know, I'm just going to make up an example yeah, here please. because I don't know exactly how it's playing out in your family. But let's say that he is snacking from, you know, whatever time, dinner time till, okay. So <laughs> yeah. there's this time happening. Okay. And he's getting whatever he wants from the pantry. You can take the role of saying, I'm going to put out a bedtime snack. Again, this does not have to be a free-for-all in your home. So you can decide, I'm putting out a snack platter, and now I'm offering some fruit, some protein, maybe some crackers. Here's what's available for snack. If you're hungry, this is what you can come and eat. Okay. So then I want to pause here Ah. because I think this is a super important question to ask. Okay, we put the platter out. They go, I don't want that. Here's the pantry. I'm going to get what I want. And then I come in and say, actually, this is what's available. And then how do I not feel like that's a food rule? Right. And then I'm creating food restrictions. What's the difference between a food rule and a food restriction and a boundary? Yeah. So food restriction is us saying we shouldn't eat these foods. These foods are not good for us. You shouldn't have too many. We don't allow them regularly, right? I look at this as an ecosystem. And so when we're parenting, it's not every specific incident and exactly what you say or do, exactly what you're serving in that moment. It's about the whole environment that we're creating with food. Do you regularly allow cookies and chips and pizza and ice cream and all those quote-unquote unhealthy foods, along with fruits and vegetables, right, and other protein sources and and a whole variety of foods. Do you allow all of those? Wonderful, right? You're allowing them regularly and consistently. So within that then, you are able to choose at this meal, this is what I'm making tonight. I am making hamburgers and french fries and fruits and vegetables. And no, you're not going to make top ramen because this is what we're having for dinner. Okay, here's the snack. I'm putting out chips and cheese and whatever the thing is. I also, some snacks include cookies. Maybe some I don't include cookies, right? Like we're still incorporating all of those foods. We're not restricting them and saying you can't have them. They are not good. You shouldn't have them too often. You shouldn't have them too much, we're still incorporating them regularly and consistently. We're just also doing the job of exposing our kids to a variety of different foods so that they can learn to like them, so that they can incorporate them over time. Mm -hmm. Because our kids are much less likely, like you said before, much less likely to go and get fruit or veggies and hummus or something like that when they can grab a granola bar right out of the pantry. Yeah, it's more convenient for sure. So what you're saying is that if I come in as the parent and say, 
this is our rhythm around food. Here's breakfast. Here's a variety of options. This is snack time. Here's a variety of options. This is lunch time. Like so on and so forth. Um, and I remove sort of this like free for all with the cabinet. Yeah. It's not necessarily like a food rule. It's more around like these are the rhythms of our family and this is what we're offering as the parent. And if that offering includes such a variety that we're actually not playing into diet culture. Absolutely. And I love that you just said that because one of the keys that I talk about is, so when you come through Nourish Together, the first section I call um, like the foundations and that's the must do's. And those are things that like absolutely I believe have to be incorporated or nothing else is going to work. But the second step of that is what I call macro systems. And I say I love that because the first piece is establishing a daily rhythm. And what does that look like with food? And it's not like, oh, we have to have these set meal and snack times and, you know, like we have to be to the T and this is exactly what we're eating. But it's just figuring out a rhythm with food and having some structure around it. Okay. I feel like this is like, you know, when you live in diet culture and you're all the way over here and then you go anti-diet and you're all the way over here. So now we're trying to like swing the pendulum back to the center somewhere. And um, now I have work to do. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I have to figure out some new ways. But I, I do like the idea of sort of creating that boundary around it and saying here are your options no you're not going to get you know oreos every day for snacks you know you're going to have some options here there's more than just this one thing um and my kids live in the pantry like as a matter of fact there's a sliding door and it doesn't all the way close so it's like always open and they literally live in there and my son the one he likes to sit in the living room and watch tv alone and then he'll you know tiptoe over to the pantry, grab another snack, tiptoe. So that's a part of the stomach ache thing. So I, I, I like that that option of sort of setting a so, boundary. So like if, if it's post-dinner, everyone, I think we're always talking about this post-dinner time. It Adults is. too, yeah. right? So if we say in our family, we're putting a platter out post-dinner every evening, right. and that platter will always have a variety of different things, yep. and then a child goes, or an adult, goes <laughs> to the pantry, we can say, remember... We have a, our, our post-dinner platter right, available right to you. Mm-hmm. That Those are our choices for this evening. And if those choices do include some cookies and some chips and some other things, then the I don't get the thing I want yeah. doesn't come up as much. So then the, eventually the pattern won't be so that I can't have that. Maybe that night we didn't have the exact cookie you wanted, but you'll start to see over time that if we can follow through with our rhythm, that that cookie will appear on occasion and therefore you're not so like panic and I need to go to the pantry. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? So it's okay to redirect them from the pantry back to the snack platter. Absolutely. And with children, you know, if we're making those shifts, we often need to incorporate them into them and explain to them how we're going to start doing it now. You know, these are some changes that we're going to be making around food. Um, you know, you can always get as much as you need to eat. We're going to incorporate all of the foods that you still enjoy. But part of my job as a parent, too, is to help make sure that we're putting out a variety of foods and that you get, you know, an abundance of nutrients and choices and everything. And so we're going to be putting out the food that's available. You can decide if you want to eat it or not. But when we put snacks out, you know, that's what's going to that's what's going to be available. And we can also incorporate them. Share with me some ideas, yeah, Mm -hmm. that you want to put out. It could be in that moment. It could be ahead of time. We make lists of things that you want us to incorporate. You know, it could be, 
I'm going to be putting out some cookies. Do you want to pick these cookies or these cookies? And then mm. you fill in some of the other pieces on there. Yeah. yeah. A huge light bulb just went off. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely doing this. I'm into like charcuteries all the time. Yes. So my kids know like mommy made a charcuterie board. So it's set out. But I think my, I think my, even my oldest daughter, my 12 year old would love to be a part of this mm-hmm. and setting it up. They actually all like to make them. So it could be a family activity where we set the snacks out and this is what we're snacking on until bedtime. So and I think as I parents, we have to be patient. I have noticed like so. uh 18 months ago, I was noticing this pattern that like we would sit down for dinner Mm -hmm. and the kids would never sit down with us. And I just felt exhausted trying to get them to sit with us. And so I was just like, whatever. And then I said, no, I want to set an intention that we have a meal. You don't have to eat it. You don't have. But like and it took a year. Oh, my God. It took a year. But I just kept going, it's dinner time, please come sit down. And then when they would leave, I would I would pause and I would go get them. And then I, it's dinner time, please come sit down. And now they sit down for dinner. Wow. And my oldest daughter doesn't stay as long as I want her to. And she doesn't, she actually hardly eats the food. Mm. But I just let it go. And I'm like, that's the other thing is like lowering the bar a little bit. Like my expectation of the children to come and put a nice cloth napkin over their lap and <laughs> have a nice, beautiful discussion of their day and try every single food. Like that is unrealistic. Yeah. And I have to let that go a little bit. But that I had to give a lot of patience because I think that if we try something for like two weeks and it doesn't work, we're like, we're out of here. We're done. Yeah. And it's like, no, come back to the intention. And then again, my older daughter wouldn't eat any of the meals. So I started doing this thing where I would actually plan out what we're going to have for the week because that's yeah. the other thing. I don't want to dis- the decision around what we're eating for dinner is so much sometimes that when I get home, I just want to know what it is and I'll cook it. Same. So her job on Saturdays is I print out the chart and she fills in with me like we'll do it together. Like what are we having this week for right. food? I love that. And so then that way when she goes, I didn't want that. I'm like, oh, I'm, or maybe you changed your mind, but like you're the one who planned this meal, <laughs> right? And it and it she she doesn't eat as much as I want. Like I hope mm-hmm. really. Like sometimes she'll just have like two bites of rice. But she definitely participates more. And so I also think maybe I need to lower the bar. Yeah. It sounds like it. But it yeah. sounds like she's made a lot of progress. So that's she has, great. but it took a, it took a year. Mm-hmm. It took a year. And so, like, sure. I have to remind myself of that. Yeah. You know, it took a year. So we have to be patient with ourselves. We have to be patient with and, and be willing to try things and, and stick with it right. and, like, say, okay, like, what? come back to my intention. What's my intention to have a family meal together? Okay. Well, you're going to be annoyed for about a year that you're going to have to stop your meal and get up and make eye contact and get on their level and bring them back. Right. How can we do that? Well, I can ask my partner to participate in that. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, give grace and not have an expectation that it's going to be a 45-minute dinner, right? That part. So, like, okay, we now have sat for five minutes. Great. We now have sat for 15 minutes. Progress, right? It might not ever be exactly like this envision I have of this European three-hour meal with seven courses that we all enjoy. (laughs) Like, they're six and ten. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot for an adult. (laughs) Yeah, so true. And I think it's so great to look at all of those things as progress. You know, sometimes I'll get parents that are worried their kids aren't eating enough variety and we're working on that. And they're like, you know, I just feel like we haven't made any progress. I'm like, well, let's look at that. And they're like, oh, well, mealtimes are so much more enjoyable. They're not stressful at all anymore. We're all sitting together. Like all these things are happening. My kid is eating and not complaining about the food being on the table, but they haven't tried something new. Okay, but look at these layers of things that are improving. And we often just have, yeah, not enough patience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we just want it to go from zero to 100 like now. And we don't see all of these things that need to build to get us there, especially if maybe there's been 
some things that need to be repaired. Right. You know, yeah. it, it takes time to well, work what, through what that too. What we're really too. doing is repairing our relationship with our our own relationship with food. And we I are. think that that, like I'll just be very transparent. Um, with my child with the lactose, I don't want her to experience the stomach aches and the diarrhea and the, the gastrointestinal issues. And the reason for that is because I have a vomit phobia. And the way my vomit phobia works is that anytime someone has gastrointestinal distress, even if I have the data to show that it was the dairy she ate, my, my, that's not how my anxiety works. It goes to like someone's getting sick. Mm. And so like if I'm really honest with myself, it's about that. Yeah. And so we have to be able to look in the mirror, I think, in this journey with food. As a parent, as, as maybe we're not even the season of, season of parenting, like it does come down to some really root things. But when we're when we're willing to go there, I do think that's where the shift can happen for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I have a parent just the other day in our program, we were doing a group call and we were talking through things and she's like, dang it, Nicole, every single time it always comes back to me, doesn't it? It does. Yes. And it's it's true that, you know, yes, it is. And it's not that doesn't mean, oh, we just sit here and only look at ourselves and we don't make any changes. Or again, we don't support our children. That's not true. But we don't want our boundaries to be set from this place again of us having this fear and anxiety around it. Mm -hmm. That's why we have to do our own work so that we can set the boundaries neutrally, so that we can have this low energy about it, so that we can be detached from the outcome of whether they eat the meal or they don't. Yeah. Right, like that's where we have to do our own work. We can still implement the practices, but we have to be more neutral about it. Well, I hope that our <laughs> listeners today, if you're in the season of parenting, can walk away with some really um, incredible things to think about. I hope that if our listeners are not in the season of parenting, they can maybe have an opportunity to yeah. look at how they were brought up around food and how that parenting impacted their relationship with food. But also, I hope that it can provide us an opportunity to not judge other mm -hmm. when we see parents feeding their children certain things because that doesn't help anyone so I hope that like having this more like in-depth conversation around parenting and children and food we can all as a collective community come together mm -hmm. and hold more space for one another but um, before we let you go Nicole I gotta ask the the feeling lighter big question yeah. which is What's an old belief that you have shed that has impacted your life in a big way? I feel like there's so many, <laughs> um, so many things that we could say here. And I think that I, I, you know what, we actually talked about this a lot today. And I think that it's something that I'm really still working on. But I think that it's really that my job is not to actually control my child's relationship with food, mm. it's really to give them the space to have their own relationship with food and to provide that, you know, gentle guidance and, and the neutrality around it to let them learn about it and to develop. But, you know, for so long, I think I even wanted, like, they have to have a good relationship with food and I've had an eating disorder and I don't want that and I have to, like, make this perfect and all the things. And to really let go of that and to recognize that, I have three kids myself. They all have different personalities. They all have different preferences with food. They all have different behaviors with food. Right. And, you know, who am I to judge or try to transform them into one or the other? So really it's that I need to create that space for them to develop their own relationship with food and what I hope will be um, at least a somewhat healthy one. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like letting go. 
and trusting. Yes. And that's scary. <laughs> yeah, that is scary so, for sure. Thank well, you. Nicole, thank you so much. It's been such a joy to connect about this topic again. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I love chatting with you. And they can find me um, on Instagram is probably the best place. Um, I'm now there as Diet Free Family. So you can find me there as Diet Free Family. Um, If you listen to this and you want to chat, feel free to shoot me a DM. Tell me that you heard the podcast. I would love to connect with you. Um, That's the best place. And otherwise, you can find resources on my website at NicoleCruzRD.com as well. Wonderful. Thank Thank you you so so much, much. Nicole. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, before you go, it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review. This helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time. Also, we want to hear from you. So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at weshape.com. And finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com slash challenge to sign up.